You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. And it's, uh, I don't know what it's like in your part of the country, but in my part of the country, it's been a pretty nasty week or so. We haven't had real cold weather, but we're starting to prepare for it. And, uh, keeps me from working outside around my ranch very much, but uh, also it's nice to hunker down before a fireplace and uh, work on new articles and for my blog and this sort of thing. There's a lot happening out there, and, you know, I, the one thing that I find extremely gratifying is liberal hysteria. I mean, the left in this country is literally hysterical at this point. They have seen the Democratic Party get kicked in the butt by the American voters, and many of those voters were longtime Democratic voters that turned on their party, yet none of them are smart enough to know, or willing to accept at least, that it was their fault. They're looking for all kinds of scapegoats. They don't want to accept responsibility for the fact that their message which has been to divide the country along racial lines, along ethnic lines, along religious lines, and according to class warfare, that that message no longer resonates with the American people. They're fed up with it. And they showed the Democrats that by the way they voted in November. But the Democrats don't want to accept that. They want to go forward with the same narrative, the same class warfare, the same religious divisions and race, racial divisions, and they're, they're trying to blame their losses on people like me, who they classify as white racist males. Well, people that know me know that I have never been a racist. I have been exactly the opposite. But I fall into their category. Why? Because I'm white. Well, that makes them racist, not me. Why? Because I'm male. That makes them sexist, not me. But they're going to continue with this narrative. And right now they're looking to try to still draw, block Donald Trump from becoming president of the United States by going after the Electoral College. Now, let me tell you about the Electoral College. The Electoral College was set up by our founding fathers to avoid exactly what would have happened in this election had it been by popular vote only. The founding fathers wanted to avoid having the cities, the large cities, control who got elected in the presidency in the United States. They wanted all the states to be represented not equally, because it's obviously, you know, California has a lot more electoral votes than, say, Louisiana does. But they wanted to make sure that there was a voice for the rural states, for the smaller states, and that the popular vote was not going to be what determined the presidency. Now, this has been going on for over two centuries. It has been successful. Only on rare occasions does a popular vote 
gone against the president-elect. But what it has, it's been clear that the wishes and the desires of our founding fathers was being fulfilled. And that's exactly what has happened in this election. I mean, when you look at the the map, the electoral map in this country, Donald Trump carried over 3,400 counties. Hillary Clinton carried only a handful, around 50 or 60. The counties she carried were in large population areas like New York City, Los Angeles, California, San Francisco, California, Seattle, Washington, Chicago, Illinois. If we allowed the popular vote to dictate the presidency, then essentially you would have had four or five cities in this country determine who the president was, despite the fact that the vast majority of the states and the overwhelming majority of counties voted for Donald Trump. So they're launching an attack, an attack on the Electoral College. And, you know, they've been talking for years about trying to abolish it. Well, that's not going to happen because it's in the Constitution. And that's what this radio show is all about, is our Constitution. And in the Constitution, the Electoral College is set up and can only be changed by amending the Constitution. Now, that requires a three-fourths majority vote in both houses of Congress which is not going to happen, but even if it did, then three-fourths of the state legislatures in this country would have to approve it. That means it could be blocked by only 13 states. I, you know, the Texas and the southern states and the other southwestern states like Arizona, places like Arkansas, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, they're never going to vote to eliminate their right to help elect the President of the United States. So it's not going to happen. So what they're doing now is they're attacking the Electoral College and they're trying to use individual electors as weapons to try to deny Donald Trump the 270 electoral votes he needs. Now, that's not going to happen either. But what they're doing is they're actively threatening electors Electors out there are getting death threats from the left in this country, which has become the norm among the left. I mean, you know, this is like the former Soviet Union. This is like communist Cuba, uh, which is one of their bastions of idealism. You know, they they love communist Cuba. They think that uh, starving people to death and, and throwing people in prison if they disagree with the government and executing them, that, that's a good thing. That socialism is its best. So they're looking at that type of narrative to use against the electors in this country. Threaten electors, force them to vote the way they want them to vote, not the way the people that elected them want them to vote. Now, in most states, there are laws that prohibit that. And even if there are not laws that prohibit it, as far as I'm concerned, electors have a moral obligation to do what they have been elected to do. 
But now we have the President of the United States trying to interfere in the Electoral College by claiming that the Russians stole the election from Hillary Clinton. And you have the, the leftist media saying the same thing. What actually happened here with the Russians? Well, we don't know. We know where the leaks came from. They came out of WikiLeaks, which is an organization that I have never been fond of. But the problem the Democrats have, the liberals have, is the fact that the Hillary Clinton campaign never denied the truth of what was being leaked. They screamed and hollered that it was the Russians interfering in the election, but they didn't deny the fact that the information that was contained in those emails, information that showed that the DNC was organized in favor of a particular candidate against Bernie Sanders for Hillary Clinton, which is illegal, they didn't deny that. They did deny some of the leaks that came out about Hillary Clinton and her email scandal and the fact that she misused a private server to the point where it threatened, not only threatened national security, but in my view, based on information I've, I've collected, actually caused some people around the world to lose their lives. And that includes Chris Stevens and the other three men who died in Benghazi. And the Democrats have, have you know, basically ignored the fact that WikiLeaks came out with information that was correct. Now, where did they get that information? Well, the news media wants us to believe it came from the Russians and the Russian hacking. I don't see any proof of that. I see proof that techniques used by Russian hackers were used to get this information, some of this information possibly. But by the same token, it appears to me, and I've seen more and more people coming out and agreeing with this, that what actually happened here was whistleblowers inside the Democratic National Committee and one of the suspected whistleblowers was mysteriously murdered before the election. The whistleblowers inside the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign came forward and leaked this information to WikiLeaks, who then put it out in the public. I've got, you know, I've got no love for the Russians. I was a military intelligence officer, and uh, one of my specialties was dealing with the Soviet Union and dealing with the Russians. And uh, I had some interesting confrontations over the years. And I've never been a fan of Russia, uh, particularly since Putin took over, because I think he's trying to reestablish the, the communist regime, his invasion of Crimea. I should have been reacted to uh, fiercely, but was not by the Obama administration. Uh, his attacks on Ukraine are totally out of line and should have been, we should have had a stronger reaction against those. But, you know, Barack Obama doesn't react against totalitarianism in any way. He draws these lines in the sand. He makes these red lines. When people cross over, he doesn't do anything. He leads from behind when he leads at all, and that's very rare. 
So we've seen the Russians basically humiliate the United States. We've seen the Iranians humiliate the United States. We've seen Hamas and Hezbollah humiliate the United States. And in addition, kill American servicemen who are fighting for our country. And nothing happens. Now all of a sudden, the evil Russians are being used as a scapegoat for the failure of the Democratic Party to run a viable candidate for President of the United States, to have a message that the people of the United States believed in, and they're blaming it on Russia. I don't know that Russia's hands are clean in this, but the fact of the matter is there's absolutely no proof out there that one vote was stolen by the Russians, that they hacked successfully into any of our state voting machines. There's no indication that anything happened other than what we saw, and that was that the American people rejected liberalism in this country. Well, let's take our first break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So what are the Democrats trying to get accomplished with the Electoral College? Well, number one, it's highly unlikely they're going to succeed in anything. I think next Monday, when the Electoral College meets, Donald Trump is going to be chosen as President of the United States. And that should end it. It won't necessarily end it for the liberals. 
although a lot of them will go to their safe rooms and grab their teddy bears and coloring books and and try to console themselves uh, by being whiny, which is what the Democrats do best, by the way, is they whine. And uh, when they don't get their way or they attack, when they attack Christians and they attack conservatives and they attack white people and they attack anybody who they believe didn't support them. But as far as the outcome of the election being changed, that's highly unlikely. Even if a number of Donald Trump electors decide to vote for Hillary Clinton, they would probably be blocked in their states by court orders. If they decide not to vote at all, they might, if enough of them did that, they might be able to keep Donald Trump from being elected outright by Electoral College. But it wouldn't give Hillary those votes. So she wouldn't be elected either. So it would go to the House of Representatives. That's the way the Constitution is set up. If the Electoral College, there's not a decision made by the Electoral College, and the House of Representatives decides. Well, the House of Representatives is controlled by Republicans. Each state would have one vote, and uh, so many of the state legislatures are controlled by Republicans, and so many of their members of the House of Representatives are Republicans, that clearly Hillary would not be elected president, Donald Trump would be. So a lot of this is just an effort to try to make the Trump presidency look illegitimate. But I don't see it happening. But what we have to realize is that this attack on the Electoral College is serious. They are trying to change our Constitution without going through the required process of amending the Constitution. And they're trying to do it by threatening electors. There are going to be massive demonstrations where the Electoral College is meeting. Probably be some violence because George Soros likes violence. And so some of the Democrats. But the hysteria among the Democrats is just incredible. I mean, Harry Reid, who has been the village idiot in the United States Senate for a number of years now, he has come out and compared the so-called Russian hacking and the so-called Russian stealing of our election to 9-11. So he has has basically said that the Russians, if they did do it, and I don't don't think there's any definitive proof that they they did it, but if the Russians, in fact, hacked into the Democratic National Committee and into the Clinton campaign and took emails and gave them the WikiLeaks that then gave them to the American people, so they could see what was really going on inside the campaign, that this is the equivalent to a terrorist attack on the United States that cost over 3,000 lives. That's the mindset of these people. They defend radical Islam. They defend terrorists. They protect terrorists. They allow terrorists to come in this country illegally. yet they will not defend the integrity of our election process if it goes against them.
So this is what we're facing. We're facing a, a bunch of crazies out there. I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. Uh, these people are basically nuts, and they are hysterical to the point where they will do anything that they can to try to, try to destroy our constitutional republic. And they've been doing it for years. Obama's been doing it for years. Obama right now is trying to do everything he can to block Trump from undoing a lot of the damage he's done in this country. Although there's very little the president can do, short of declaring himself dictator for life, which I'm sure he would love to do, but uh, I don't think that would sit very well, particularly with members of the military and with a lot of people out there who are willing to take up arms and fight for this country if necessary. <clears throat> And my new patriotic novel, The Rag, I talk about exactly that scenario where Americans are forced to fight to take back their country. But we do have to be mindful of the fact that they are going to try to do everything they can to undermine this election, to undermine the presidency of Donald Trump undermine the control of the House and the Senate by the Republicans, and also to try to stop key appointments by Trump. And so far, I have been very gratified by the Trump appointments for his cabinet. I think his appointment of Mattis as General Mattis as head of the Department of Defense, is masterful. I mean, I have two sons in the military. I'm a military veteran. My family goes back all the way to the Revolutionary War is fighting for this country. I've got a best-selling novel out there, or, or a novel, a nonfiction book, about my father's unit during World War II called The Mortarman. I talk about the, the valiant efforts of our young men during World War II, I mean, this unit was by the 4.2 mortars. They landed the second wave at Utah Beach, and they were in combat for 326 straight days, including the Battle of the Bulls and the Hurricane Forest. So having a strong military and having strong leadership of our military and strong leadership of the Department of Defense is very important to me. And I think Mattis is a great choice. I mean, they don't call him Mad Dog without a reason. He's tough, he's resourceful, and he is loved by the men and women he has commanded. He has their complete respect. And that's something we haven't had in the Department of Defense for a long time. And I think that Donald Trump is clearly a president of the United States who will listen to the military leaders, will listen to the head of the Department of Defense and making decisions. That's something that Obama wouldn't do. That's why he went through three or four different secretaries of defense during his presidency. Because they were told, you have to do what I want you to do, not what's best for the country, not what's best for the military. I mean, let's face it, Obama's concern about the military was making sure that the transgenders were able to join the military and that gays were able to join the military, and that Christian, the Christian religion was being, to be excluded from the military. These were his concerns. 
not protecting American soldiers, not sending them into combat with the wherewithal to win, because he put rules of engagement on our troops that cost hundreds, if not thousands, of American lives. And I know of specific instances of, of this sort of thing where lives were lost. And I'll give you one example. In Afghanistan, we had a squad of Marines that was surrounded by Taliban fighters. A squad of Marines that's made up of eight, eight men. They were in basically a valley, and in the hills surrounding this valley, there were over 200 Taliban fighters shooting down on them. They called for air support, and they called for artillery support. And they were told, well, we have to get permission from the White House for that. Now, you don't wait for the White House to approve artillery support for a unit that's under fire. But they were told they had to wait for the White House approval. And then they were told that they couldn't get White House approval unless they could count the number of men surrounding them and see all of them and make sure that every one of them was armed. Because if at least one was not armed, then the whole group would be considered civilians and they, there could be no artillery used on them or no air, air support. Well, obviously, if you're a Marine and you're pinned down, you don't have the opportunity to stand up and start counting heads or looking to see who's shooting at you and who's not. So they couldn't fulfill the requirements, and they all died. And this, of course, went totally unreported by the liberal news media. But that's what Obama looked at as far as our military. That's why our fight against ISIS has been really unproductive. Because of the fact that there are so many restrictions on our Air Force and our other air power as to who they can bomb and who they can attack, that our attacks are really unwieldy. In order to defeat ISIS, we should be launching in Iraq, just in Iraq alone, we should have been launching about 200 sorties a day. That's 200 airstrikes a day. Instead, on some days, we were launching as few as two, some none, and on the average, only about 10 a day. And half of these planes that were launched never dropped their bombs or fired their rockets because they couldn't get clearance, even though they had clear ISIS targets. But the possibility that there might have been civilians in the area stopped them from being able to attack. And then it got so ridiculous that when they would see a convoy carrying ISIS troops and equipment, they could not attack the convoy because its drivers might not be ISIS members. They might be civilians just working for a paycheck. So our Air Force had to go in first and drop leaflets for the drivers of these vehicles telling them that in 45 minutes we're going to attack this convoy. Well, in 45 minutes... ISIS fighters were able to move anti-aircraft fire into the area, surfaced air missiles, or disperse the convoy, or all of the above. 
So the attacks were basically useless if they took place at all. And that's the way liberals fight wars. That's the way they fight wars like Vietnam. Let's take our second break now. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So it looks like to me anyway that we're going to have a strong leader in the Pentagon. And we have another general, Kelly, who has been appointed to head up the our national intelligence. And by the way, that brings up another point that I need to make about the CIA saying they had definitive proof that the Russians were the hackers and that they influenced the outcome of our election. Interestingly enough, the head of all of our intelligence agencies, James Clapper, says he has no proof of that. So this is a CIA report that came out And I've been concerned about the CIA for a long time because of the fact that basically the head of the CIA is a Muslim appointed by Obama, and they have not been effective at all for years because Obama hadn't allowed them them to be. Now, we have a lot of good people in the CIA, just like we have a lot of good people in the FBI. Yet, both of these agencies have been used by the Obama administration to push their agenda. But now we have General Kelly, who is going to be a good director of national intelligence. And 
I think we're going to get the truth. And I think we're going to get a strong effort made to counter intelligence efforts of the Russians, of the Chinese, of the Iranians, of our other enemies out there. We're going to have a strong effort to get good intelligence on them. And we're going to have something that we haven't had in years, particularly during the eight years of the Obama administration, the cooperation of our allies. Let's face it, one of the, the key elements of any intelligence gathering is human intelligence. Now that means you have people on the ground in other countries who will, out of patriotism or for money, whatever the reason, will provide us with key intelligence on what's happening inside their own country and inside their military. This has always been a major element of intelligence. I mean, yeah, you know, now we have all the electronic opportunities, and that's what I was trained at. And I was a military intelligence officer. Uh, I was a captain before I got uh, caught in the reduction in force after the Vietnam War. And a lot of officers like me were promoted out of our units. When we got promoted out of our units, we couldn't find any place else to go because they cut the size of the military so much. But I worked in, was trained in, in counterintelligence initially, and then worked for the Army Security Agency, which was electronic and counter-electronic warfare. And I thought it was amazing, some of the stuff that I was trained in. But it's nothing compared to now. Because we have the satellites, we have the uh, communications that we can collect data on. But you still need that human intelligence. And you still need our allies to trust us. Now, the Obama administration has had a bad habit of when they get intelligence, they release the sources of the intelligence so that it can make Obama supposedly look good. Remember when we finally killed bin Laden? A Pakistani doctor provided that information to our Navy SEALs, to our intelligence people, and our SEAL Team 6 was able to go in there and kill bin Laden. And right after that, the Obama White House announces the name of the doctor that gave us the intelligence. That doctor was arrested by the Pakistanis and has basically been put in life, in prison for life, without objection from the Obama administration. What does that tell people around the world? Don't work for the United States intelligence. Don't provide them information. They will release your name. You will be arrested and imprisoned or killed. And Mossad, Israeli intelligence, which is one of the best intelligence services in the world, they're reluctant to share intelligence with us because they don't know who Obama will share that with. He may just give it to the New York Times, who will publish it and get people killed. They don't care. Obama doesn't care. As far as the Obama administration is concerned, the military, members of our military are cannon fodder to be used when necessary to push his political agenda 
and to be discarded the rest of the time. Now we finally have some people being put in positions in the military where it is going to be the strength of our military that is going to be the primary objective. Not political correctness, not trying to placate the totalitarian totalitarian regimes in the world, but to defend our country and to go after ISIS, to go after Al-Qaeda, and to go after the Iranians if necessary. Because what's happening right now has got to stop. We're looking at a war that is going to be ongoing for a long time. And it's one we have to win. Now, right now, we have seen ISIS being put on its heels somewhat in Iraq with the effort to retake Mosul, although the effort has not been successful yet. But in the meantime, ISIS has retaken the city of Palmero, the historic city in Syria, while the Russians and the Syrian army was after the rebels in Aleppo, and where they have destroyed killed thousands of innocent people. And this is another reason I don't have any use for the Russians, because they were targeting playgrounds, hospitals, schools. You know, Putin to me is is somebody that we have to deal with from a position of strength. I think Donald Trump and his new administration will do that. Obviously that uh, Obama never did. Obama never dealt with anybody from a position of strength. I mean, the Iranian deal was just, I've talked about that repeatedly on this show, and now, number one, it was passed unconstitutionally with the help of the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate. It was a treaty that was never treated as a treaty, was never passed by two-thirds majority of the Senate as required by the Constitution, and the Republicans in the House and Senate is basically rolled over and played dead and let Obama get this through. That's something I hope that Trump really does, and that is to get rid of that treaty because it's going to allow Iran to become a nuclear power. Simple as that. And it's for that reason, and that's one of the reasons that the Israelis don't trust the United States. They don't trust sharing intelligence. Because if they get intelligence on something Iran's doing and they share it with the CIA, the CIA then has to share it with the president, and the president of the United States is liable to come out in a press conference and say, look, here's, here's something that we know that, that we're going to let everybody else know and we're going to let the Iranians know about, and the Israelis have done this and this and this, and that's bad. We've got a sick situation going on in the White House right now. Has been going on for eight years. I think it's going to be reversed. I think we're going to have a strong military and strong intelligence out there. Certainly, we have to, because while ISIS has been pushed back in one area, they have gained ground in other areas. They are now in thirty-eight separate countries, and there are ISIS operatives in this country. We know for a fact they have crossed the border 
across our southern border because it's been wide open. Anybody can cross our border. And by the way, that brings up a, a point about the sanctuary cities. San Francisco has now announced that it's going to use taxpayer money to defend illegals, people who have come in this country illegally and have committed crimes against American citizens and been convicted of those crimes and are now scheduled to be deported, they're going to hire lawyers to defend these people, to protect them from being deported and, I guess, ultimately protect them from even going to jail. Doesn't matter the crime, murder, rape, pedophilia, or terrorism. Think about that. Is San Francisco going to supply taxpayer-funded attorneys to defend somebody in, like the attackers in San Bernardino if they've been captured instead of killed? And it happened in San Francisco. Would they now be providing the attorneys at no cost to keep these people from being convicted of terrorism or being deported? Is that where the left is going in this country? Absolutely. It's clear that's where they're going. Terrorism, Islamic terrorists, illegals, coming into this country, violating our law by the very fact they're crossing our border, are going to have more rights and more protection in places like San Francisco and presumably Chicago, based on Ron Emanuel's statements, than American citizens. I think that's exactly what the people in this country rose up and voted against when they elected Donald Trump as President of the United States. But we have to strengthen our military, which I think we're going to do. We have to make sure that our military is not concerned with political correctness, but is concerned with being a strong fighting force. And somebody told me, you know, recently, and a member of the military told me that and this just floored me, and I hope it's not true, but from what I've heard, I think it is, that in basic training right now, which is supposed to be tough, the Marine Corps basic is supposed to be tough, Marine Corps boot camp, Navy boot camp, it's supposed to be tough, it's supposed to make soldiers tough, that in some instances, it has been mandated by the Obama administration that if a recruit feels threatened or feels abused or just feels like the training is too tough, that they can have a timeout. Sound familiar? Teddy bears and coloring books. Let's take our final break. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, 
taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. One of the final things I want to talk about today is the uh, liberal assault on so-called fake news. Now, I find this to be hypocritical at best and laughable at worst. Because what we have is news organizations like CNN, you know, the Clinton News Network, New York Times, the Washington Post, CBS, MSNBC coming out and saying, oh, Hillary lost the election not because she was a lousy candidate, not because she was a career criminal, not because the American people were fed up with leftist ideology and, and liberal permissiveness. But she lost because there was fake news being created out there. People were publishing news stories on the Internet which were not true, and therefore the Internet must be policed. And conservative news organizations like Fox must be policed to make sure that they publish what is true. Now, say publish what is true means publish what the liberals want the American people to hear, not necessarily what's true. Because the greatest purveyors over the years of fake news or selective news or hiding news have been the major networks and the major newspapers in this country. I'll give you examples going back into the 1960s. 1968, they had a Vietnam War was going on and you had the Vietnam anti-war protesters call for a moratorium on all college campuses around the country. And they call for everybody to protest by skipping classes and then by holding rallies against the war. Well, I was head of a group on LSU's college campus called Young Americans for Freedom. And I was also president of the Young Republicans. We organized and encouraged students to go to class that day. Interestingly enough, 
my first three classes, well, only three classes that day, had perfect attendance for the first time in the semester. We had a place called Free Speech Alley where we would debate political topics, and that was totally controlled that day by us. And we also had an indication that they were going to try to take down the American flag on our parade ground. So we surrounded the flagpole with hundreds of students, and no effort was made at that point to take down the flag, although there was another effort made later on in the day, which turned out hysterically, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. But what happened was that CBS was one of the networks that had chosen about five or six campuses around the country where they were going to cover the Vietnam moratorium activities and, of course, cover it favorably because they were very, very anti-American involvement in Vietnam and anti-American military. The problem was that nothing was happening of any real import at LSU. LSU was a pretty conservative campus. The vast majority of the students supported our efforts in Vietnam and supported our troops. There was just a couple of hundred people that were trying to organize a counter-demonstration against the war. And they had been blocked from trying to take down the American flag by hundreds of other people, including the entire LSU football team and several hundred Cuban refugees who had been in the Bay of Pigs, or involved in the Bay of Pigs, who were now students at LSU. They had no use for the communists or for leftists. But anyway, there was a professor who was the head of the engineering department at LSU, who was the advisor to our Young America's Freedom Chapter, the faculty advisor. And he told me in the midst of all this, and I have no reason to doubt this was true, that he overheard a representative of CBS News, and I'm not going to give you the name because I'm not, you recognize the name, but I'm not sure this was the actual person, but it definitely was a representative of CBS News who was talking to the head of the anti-war demonstrating group. And he told him, he says, we would like to get a picture or take video of you and your group putting up a Viet Cong flag. We want you to take it and stick it. If you can't get it to the, the take over the flagpole, take down the American flag, at least put up the Viet Cong flag on a small pole and wave it right in front of the American flag pole. And then, according to the professor, the head of the group looked at him, the CBS reporter, like, well... We don't have a Viet Cong flag. And the CBS News reporter said, well, we got one in our truck. We're going to let you have it. And the guy respectfully declined and said, no, <laughs> we're not going to get our butts kicked by doing something like that. A year later, I was with a meeting with leaders of other conservative groups, because by this time I had become the National Secretary of Marquis Freedom, and we had a conference going on at a college not far from Chicago. And we found out that there were some uh, Nazis on that campus, or at least in near the area, and they wanted to debate us. 
But we thought, okay, we'll take on the Nazis. we got no use for totalitarians of any sort, whether it's SDS, whether it's communists or socialists or Nazis. We'll take you on. Well, I overheard this because I was heading towards the auditorium where this so-called debate was going to take place, and there were some leftist students out there and demonstrating against us and against the Nazis, you know, trying to lump us together. When in fact, we were the exact opposites. And I overheard a CBS reporter who was offering $50 per person to the leftist students if they would come in and disrupt the debate and cause and use violence against the participants, including me. I overheard this. I stepped out and let them see that I had overheard it, and well, it never happened. Not that these students might have done it anyway. They could have been arrested for it. But that's the type of fake news that I've seen over the years. And it continues today. And the whole idea behind the fake news movement is to make sure that nothing comes out, nothing is heard by our children in particular, but political propaganda for the left. That's something we have to stop. And I'm going to be writing an article about that that will be posted in the next few days on my website at www.michaelconnelly.jigsy.com. And by the way, I'm working on a major new website on my books. It's going to come up soon. And speaking of my books, we're still fighting with Amazon. They have still taken down my novel, The Rag, and my novel, on the Alien, Story of America, and my book about my dad's year during World War II. They're still taking them down as e-books. Uh, the publisher has requested they Posts have done everything that they requested. They still will not put them back up. So I may be filing a suit against Amazon before long. But in the meantime, that has seriously affected my income and my sales. So if you would like to get copies of any of those books, and the rag is still receiving top-notch five-star ratings on Amazon, you'd like to get e-book copies of any of those, you can go to Nookbook and that's a Barnes & Noble website, and you can get copies of the e-books. If you want paperbacks, I would very much like for you to order them directly through me. You can go to my website at uh, www.michaelconnelly.jigsy.com. You could order using your credit card or through PayPal. Order a signed copy through me, and that will get to me very quickly, and I will quickly get it off to you hopefully in time for Christmas. The Borderman, The Ray, Ami Ailey, A Story of America, or you can also order through me my book about the ghost of Philmont Scout Ranch, which is very popular among scouts and young people. My book, America's Liveliest Ghost, and uh, that's a bunch of stories about places like San Antonio, New Orleans, Savannah, Georgia, Natchez, Mississippi, you can order that book there. And my book, book on our Constitution, can only be ordered two ways. One is through me directly. It's a little pocket-sized booklet. that makes great stocking stuffers. You can order it through my website, or you can order it through www.constitution.jigsy.com. It is also one of the books that we did get Amazon to put back up as an e-book. It's only available on Amazon as an e-book. But you can order it through them. It's only three ninety nine per copy. If you order the 
hard copy through me at $6 per copy. So if you want some of my books, that's the way to get them. And please, I, I need your support at this point because Amazon is severely injured the income I receive. And they, they've done this deliberately. I have no doubt about it. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take the next couple of weeks off. And uh, I hope everyone has a very Merry Christmas. I'm, I don't say Happy Holidays. It's Christmas. It's about Christ. I hope everybody has a very Merry Christmas. A happy New Year, and I will talk to you again right after the first of the year. God bless. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.